0: Of time and try to work with a little bit of time so we can get into our lesson today. Today is Easter Sunday, according to everybody in our Christian world, I guess, or probably not even Christian world because in the Christian world it's Resurrection Sunday. Um, I try my best. This is what I will always try to do. I don't, I I never want to make you, um, because I try not to do this. I don't want you to, I'm not teaching and preaching to you for you to get around anyone and, and and be boastful in what you know or to try to correct people because they're wrong and you're right. That's not why we preach the word of God. The word of God is for us, for us to live what we're hearing preach. And when we live it out, hopefully someone will, will, will look at our life and say, wow, okay. But it's not for us to go and tell anyone. And I wanted to say that first just to let you know that while, you know, we understand that everyone uh, calls today Easter, understand as Christian is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, also, we hear everyone talked about Good Friday, that Good Friday was this past Friday. And what they mean is to say Jesus was crucified on Good Friday. That's not correct either. There's no way you get three days and three nights from Friday to Sunday. And so when we as Christians, if we're going to go by the book, It should be good Wednesday. He was crucified on Wednesday and he rose on Saturday evening. I guess I got to talk about that a little bit when I get my lesson. I'm not telling you that for you to walk around and say, oh, you people are wrong. I'm just telling you that. So you know your savior and you know what he's done and you understand him. That's the goal for you to understand him and know him. So that's, some of the things we'll talk about today. I'm going to walk you through last week. I'm going to pick up, you can call this part two of last week because we're going to move right through what we talked about last week and get into this week, and that will be uh, something that will help us today. So let's go to John chapter 11. John chapter 11, verse 21. We'll start in John chapter 11, verse 21. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah resurrection sunday everyone everywhere in our world that believes in jesus christ is preaching about the resurrection today amen what will the resurrection mean to you what will the resurrection mean to you hallelujah john chapter 11 verse 21 said then said martha unto jesus lord if thou has been here My brother had not died, but I know that even now whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. Jesus said unto her, thy brother shall rise again. Martha said unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? Question mark. And I'll just stop right there and pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of the Holy Ghost and for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Bless continually and let thy will be done in this service today in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Today I want to preach to you on this topic, living in the resurrection. Living in the resurrection. Can you work with me and say, living in the resurrection? That's what we want to entitle this message today, is living in the resurrection. Jesus demonstrated that he had resurrection power before he rose himself from the grave. He demonstrated that he had resurrection power. See, if you go into John chapter 11, you will see that this is before the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And so his buddy and pal Lazarus had died. And so when they told Jesus that Lazarus was dead or uh, uh, or or he was dying, he was sick. When they told Jesus Lazarus was sick, Jesus was doing some Jesus business. And when they say Lazarus is sick and he's terminally sick, guess what happened? Jesus took three days before he went and saw about Lazarus. I'm noticing something a lot when I read the scripture. I'm noticing how our emotions get the best of us, which always go against the teaching of the word of God. Your emotion will always go against the teaching of the Word of God. If you function as a Christian with the emotion being the driving force in your life, you'll always get it wrong. And so when they said Lazarus is sick unto death, Jesus still stayed and performed more miracles and reached out to people. And then Martha and Mary got to the place where they started feeling like, What's up now? You heard I said that Lazarus is sick to death and you didn't come right away? Emotion. And Jesus let it alone and Lazarus ended up dying. He was dead for four days by the time Jesus rolled up on the scene. You want to really demonstrate death in your life? Take on a fast for three days. No food, no water. Water if you want. Water is fine. But no food for three days and you will kill your flesh. So they told Jesus, Jesus, Lazarus is now dead. And when they told Jesus Lazarus was now dead, Jesus said, Yeah, he's sleeping. And then they said to Jesus, No, you didn't hear us. We said, He's dead. Jesus is funny. I think he had a dry sense of humor. I don't think he was like saying things funny and bust out laughing. I think he just had a dry sense of humor. Jesus. Lazarus is dead. No, fellas, he's sleeping. And we know the story. We jump down to John chapter 11, verse 39. Jesus said, same chapter 11, in John, verse 39, Jesus said. So he said unto them, because he went to the grave site where Lazarus was dead and stinking for four days. He said unto them, take away the stone, Martha. The sister of him that was dead said unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he had been dead four days. Jesus said unto her, said I not unto thee, that if thou wouldest believe, thou should see the glory of God? Question mark. You know what Jesus does that I'm very uncomfortable with? The Lord Jesus... He always makes sure something becomes impossible for him to work. I'm very uncomfortable with that. He waited until the dude was dead for four days because when he raised him, he wanted everybody to know it's really him and him alone that can do it. Now, he always does that. That's how he operates. Whenever he does something, he wants you to know it was him. I got a problem with that, man. I'm going to give him the glory no matter what. But man, Jesus, I'm not lying to you. I'm not comfortable with that. And I feel like I'm living in some of that right now, that he's waiting for something to just be catastrophic and then he shows up and I'm like, Jesus, come on. Serious about that. But that's how he operates and we gotta learn to, we gotta learn to deal with it because if we don't, we're going to get frustrated. And again, our emotions is gonna get the best of us if we don't get used to understanding how he operates. So the bottom line is, he said, ah, do you believe the glory of the Lord? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, watch the scripture. Father, I thank thee that thou has heard me. Well, he didn't even start praying yet. He said, Jesus said, Father, I thank you for hearing me. But dude, you didn't start praying yet. God already know what's on your heart. He's already know what's on your mind. So he went on. Stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou has sent me. So he said, I only said that just so the people around me could know what's going on. But he knows the father heareth him and and, and seeth him because he is the father in flesh. And so he already know that he's been heard, but he said it just so everyone around him will understand what's going on. And when he had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was found about with a napkin. Jesus said unto them, loose him. And let him go. Something I'm gonna to try to get us to get into before we leave here today. The Bible is not telling us some 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 story that's not true and that's not real. We gotta realize the Bible is telling us real occurrences. It really did take place. And so when Lazarus was dead and Jesus visited the place where they laid him and they rolled away the stone from the tomb and Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came forth. It really, truly was a dead man in the grave for four days that he rose them up. It's not a story. It really did happen. He told Lazarus, come forth. Just stop for a moment and think, if someone was walking this earth to call the dead to come alive whenever they wanted to, what would we think about this person? How would we respond to this person that has proven himself that if a dead person has been in the grave four days, I can show up and say, come forth. And the person has come forth and start back living again just like the greatest fear mankind have is dying. So just think, if somebody can do that, how would we reverence that person? That person would be famous in our midst. And we not understanding that that's our God. Our God is the one that can raise people from the dead. Our God is the one that can say, come forth and say, loose him and let him go to the grave clothes and he can walk and breathe and live again. Our God can do that. We may not understand it here in America, but people are still being raised from the dead all over the world. People are still being raised from the dead by a man of God or a woman of God praying and they just came alive even though they were dead. It's still happening. Because it's not happening around where you are, you can't judge the world and what God is doing in your area of life where you're living. You can't. We got to get into the book and we got to get into the mind of God to understand what he's doing even now. He rose Lazarus from the grave. So he proved that he can raise anybody else. You know, we read the Old Testament... And even read the Bible sometimes. And you know what we say, Zion? We say, well, I don't understand how those people back then behaved that way. And we have noticed that we've behaved like them. All the doubt that they had, how could they have the doubt when they was walking with Jesus? That's what we say all the time. But all the proof we have, how can we have doubts in Jesus? Our life is saying we doubt. I'm not even going to ask you if you doubt or not. I can ask everybody in here. You'll say, I don't doubt Jesus. But your life says you doubt Jesus. And so we always want to compare ourselves with them. But at the end of the day, we're no different from them. That they was questioning the things about God and they was watching it. And we today is reading the things about God and we're still questioning it. Man, I don't want to question this thing to the point where it's too late for me. I got to get on board at some point in time wholeheartedly. And so Jesus proved that he can raise the dead. So he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And so once he's proved he can raise the dead, then all of man's problems and all of man's concern, we shouldn't have them anymore. Because our God, our God, that's the almighty God, can raise us from the dead if we are dead. And we don't have to worry. The greatest fear that we have, God took it away. He took it away. Thank God that he is the resurrection. And so Matthew 28, verse 1, very familiar passage of Scripture, says, in the end of the Sabbath, let me help you out, watch Scripture now. In the end of the Sabbath, anybody know when the end of the Sabbath is? Well, first of all, what day is the Sabbath day? Okay, thank you. Okay, that's the seventh day, right? So when is the end of Sabbath? of the sabbath thank you very much thank you very much six o'clock is the end of saturday according to the jewish calendar six o'clock six o'clock so it says at the end of the sabbath that's talking about six o'clock saturday evening 601 i always tell you just like our new day start at 1201 According to the calendar back then, how the Jews lived their lives. 6:01 started a new day, not 12:01. Because why? I tell you, I hate to say this, because it, it, it falls on all of us Gentiles, Jews, man, they God people. They were so smart. It made more sense that 6:01 had started than 12:01. You know why? They was teaching us a lot of things that we ignored. They was teaching us go to your bed at six o'clock at night. If the day is over, what's there to do? Go to bed. Go sit with your family. Eat dinner. Chill until you go to sleep. And you'll get a good night rest. Because the day don't start again until 6 in the morning. How many hours is that? 12, right? You can get plenty of sleep. Smart people. They're God's people. God taught them real, real well. They just got to understand who the Messiah is. But 6 one they took it down. Ate dinner. Kicked back. Because that's what they were doing. We, we, we say 1201 start a new day. So if we want a new day, we got to wait up all the way till 12 midnight. If we want to see the next day coming, 12 midnight. Keeping our eyes open, being tired. Don't make a lot of sense, but they know what they're doing. And so in the end of the Sabbath, 601, as it began to dawn, so Sabbath is in. It began to dawn. So he's talking about moving forward now into the next day on uh, as far as when the sun came up. As it began to dawn toward the first day of the week came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his remnant white as snow. Notice something here. Well, let me read, a, read on a little bit and then you'll realize what I'm saying. Verse 4 says, And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the woman, Fear ye not, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified, He is not here, for he is risen as he said. You know what's interesting about this? It said the angel came and rolled back the stone and was sitting on it. It meant when Jesus rose from the grave, from the grave when he rose, that stone never moved. Or he moved it and moved it back. Look what I just read to you. It said, it says, the 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 angel, let's go back and says it says here in verse 2, and behold, there was a great earthquake. For the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. Did it say anything about the angel rolled back the stone and Jesus rose? It just says that angel was there to communicate a message that he was already gone. So they came to that that, that gravesite where Jesus laid. Early in the morning, trying to catch him. We got to catch him. And when they got there, his angel, God's angel, God's messenger sat there and says, I know you seek Jesus who was crucified, but he's not here. Which means he rose Saturday evening. The end of the Sabbath. The only way you get three days and three nights, because the Bible says just like Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, so shall the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. The only way to get three days and three nights, Wednesday evening and Wednesday night. Um, So from Wednesday to Thursday is one, from Thursday to Friday is two, and from Friday to Saturday is three. Three days, three nights. And Jesus got up out of the grave somewhere after 6 o'clock in the evening. And that's what happened. We need to thank God for the resurrection that he got up out of the grave. We need to thank God that he didn't stay dead and that when we go to visit that grave site, he is gone. Because we know that if he's gone, then he can raise us up just like he did Lazarus and just like he did himself. So he gave us proof. I raised one of y'all. And I raised, rose myself. We don't have to worry about death. That's why I say to you all the time, for God I live and for God I die. To me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. What does that mean? When you are living physically in this earth, you live for Christ because when you die, you will have Christ. Everybody want Christ only when they die, but that's not how it works. You got to have Christ before you die in order to have Christ uh, when you die. We want to just show up at people's funeral and say, "Well, they in heaven." We want everybody to feel like they go to heaven when they die, but only way we go to heaven when we die is when we live for Christ uh, while we're here in the earth. We don't get to heaven by just thinking about heaven. We don't get to heaven by just thinking about Christ. We have to live the life while we're here in order to get to heaven. And so he rose and he ascended eventually. We've got to understand what God has proven to us. And what he's proven to us mean we don't have to worry now about death. The biggest fear that man has is death. And so today, here is something we got to get comfortable with. I've been saying it. I don't know what this means. must mean because my time might be closed. I don't know. But here's what we got to get comfortable with. The Bible says if we die, we go to heaven where there's no crying, no more dying, no more pain, no more tears, all of that good stuff. Why don't we want to die? Why do we still want to live here? We take vacations and go to Disney World because it's nice. We take vacation and go to Disneyland because it's nice. We go on cruise. Talking about me, we go on cruise because we want something nice and we want to chill. We look forward to good life, to take a break from all the struggles and turmoil. We want to go somewhere and do something nice. Well, if that's embedded in us, isn't heaven the best place we can go and take vacation and never come back? How about every time we go on vacation, when we come back, we said, man, I could do another day in vacation. Don't we say that all the time? Well, going to heaven is an everlasting vacation. Why aren't we comfortable with that? Because death is problematic for us. And Jesus has shown us that death should not be problematic for you. Because when you die and leave this world, you have a better life than what you are dealing with here. We got to get comfortable with that we got to realize that that's the life that, that we're all striving for. We're, we're living for God and, and, and being in a relationship with him because one day we will be in him or with him eternally. That's what we're living for. So if that's what we're living for, why wouldn't we be happy to die? Somehow we're not comfortable with that. We're not happy about dying. But we need to work at it because if we're Christians, we got to realize we're, we're going to spend most of our life in eternity. Jesus has proven that he can raise us up when we die anyway. So we got two things going. If we die, we inherit an eternal vacation. And if we die and he still wants us to be here in the earth, he can raise us up and we can be back alive walking the earth. Either way, we win. I always say we have nothing to lose and everything to gain living for God. You don't live for God, I got to tell you that's not a smart way of living. Because living for God, you got everything to gain and nothing to lose. You're telling me if I follow the teachings of Jesus Christ and there's not a God that I wasted my life? No, I didn't. The only way to live a respectable life is to live like God wants you to live. If you want to be respected by people, follow the word of God. There's no other way to get respected. Brother Darrell, I'll I'll take a side note just to say this. The other day, Coach K told a lie, and he tried to um, get it straight now. So this basketball coach, right, he lost, and so they were shaking hands with the other team. And as they were shaking hands, he said to um, one of the players, you're too good to try to show people up at the end of the game when it's over and you already won. You're too good to do that. And so he was just saying that, trying to tell the kid how to be better. Uh, it wasn't his place because it was somebody else's team, somebody else coached those guys. So it wasn't his place for doing that. But he did it anyhow. So it was between him and the kid. And so now the kid, innocently, is now, you know, given – in speech about, you know, what happened in the game and how he played and, you know, what was the conversation between him and Coach K that said that thing. And he said, ah, oh, he just said to me, you know, um, you know good game and that I, I was, you know, the last shot that I took and kind of, you know, celebrate, you know, I was too good for doing that. And so so everybody started making a big deal. Coach K, he's so wrong for telling somebody else's player, nah, nah, that's fine. And Coach K eventually stepped forth and says, That was wrong of me. Well, first of all, when he did it, people asked him. The reporter asked him, did you say that to the kid? And he says, I said to the kid he had a good game, and he never admitted that he said that. So people started saying, Coach K is a liar. Coach K is not good, and he's supposed to be a really, really um, big-time figure, good example, good example in college basketball. And so they started killing him. But eventually, Coach K stepped forth and says, I misrepresented myself. I can't wait to hear what they're going to say tomorrow because our world, our world is ready to crucify us when we make a mistake. But if we will do it God's way and just step on and say, I was wrong, I lied. I want Coach K to just give them, to give them, give them the business tomorrow some more and say, yeah, I represented me and the school in a, in a wrong way because I should have said the truth up front and I didn't, and so I'm sorry for that. I can't wait because I want to hear what they say after that. It's going to shut them down. They won't have nothing to talk about on sports radio about that. My point is this, what I'm trying to get to you. The only way that we can live a right life on this earth is following the word of God. The Bible says when we sin, we must ask for forgiveness. We must move past it. And so that's what he's doing in the worldly way is to say, I made a mistake, but I'm moving past it. Everybody want to hold us in our mistakes. And when you just come out and says, I did and I made a mistake, it just shut everybody down because that's godly. What are they going to tell you when he says, yeah, I made, a, I made a bad decision there. I made a mistake. What are they going to say? I love that. Because there's nothing else to say. And then when they try to say it, you know, they got to deal with what they're saying now because at the end of the day, we all do something. And what the issue is in our life is what your wrong is is not my wrong. And so I try to be, oh, so better than you because what you did wrong is not the same as what I did. My wrong is not that bad, but yours is bad. Oh, yeah, that's what we do. That's what we do. And, 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 And the Lord is saying, look at my children just don't even understand. Wrong is wrong no matter what it is. The reason why you did your wrong and I did my wrong, we have two total separate life of how we were raised and the things that we experienced. So the things that I'm going to do wrong is according to my upbringing. The things that you're going to do wrong is according to your upbringing. We can't judge each other's wrong because we all came from different places and was raised in different families. And so what's a hard thing for me may not be a hard thing for you. Ephesians chapter 2 verse one says this. And you had he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin. He's talking to Paul is ministering to the Ephesians church. He's telling them and you had he quickened who were dead in your trespasses and sin. So Paul is telling them you may be living for God now, but before you was living for God, you was dead in your sins and your trespasses. Hmm. Wherein in times in time past. You walk according to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Can I tell you this today? If we are not Born again and living for the Lord Jesus Christ, we are dead in our sins. Every human being that walks this earth that is not born again is dead in their sins. So you are a dead man walking or a dead woman walking if you have not been born again. If you have not been born again, you are dead and you are living as a dead person, walking as a dead person. I will go further and says, as a Christian, if the born-again experience is not showing in your life, you're a dead man walking or a dead woman walking in your sins. We're dead. Some of us are still dead. We were dead in our trespasses and sin. That's why Jesus came. Listen to me, everybody. I understand as a preacher. I'm learning as I go along. Our church is, going on, is almost two years old. We're a young church, but here's what I've learned. I must say things over and over, and I have to tell you today, we keep hearing that Jesus died for our sins, and let me explain it to you again. The reason why we say Jesus died for our sins was in the beginning of human life. What God had set in order, because he's the creator of all things, what he set in order was this. He says that you are my children, and you must live your life to obey me. He says, but if you sin, you will die because of your sin. That's what God said. He is the creator of this world. He says, if you keep, if, if you live for me, you will live everlasting. If you obey me, you will live an everlasting life. But if you sin against me, you will die. That's what he started out with. And then Adam and Eve sinned. It was time for them to die because they sinned. I read something Brother Tinney wrote because I always read his book and I preach some of the stuff out of his book. And and, and I read something the other day. He said, God has a weakness. You know what's God's weakness? Because he said, the soul that sinned shall surely die. And then when it was time for them to die, he had to come up with a plan so they wouldn't die. (laughs) God has a weakness and it's us. When we messed up and disobeyed the plan he originally set forth instead of executing that plan he came up with another plan. We know God is from everlasting to everlasting. He's God and he changed not. But we must have made him change. We must have made him change because he said if you sin you will die. But then he knew everything, and so he concocted this plan to make sure we didn't have to die unless we choose to die. He came up with a plan that says, all right, let me do this so you all can have everlasting life still, the way I wanted it to be from the very beginning. And so today what he's saying is I gave my life instead of taking your life. Because since He's the Creator, He can take your life in a heartbeat. Every one of us that's sitting here today that's living, breathing, when God is ready, He will just snap His finger, your life is done! You will not be living, walking this earth anymore if God said it's time! He is the one that give life and He's the one that taketh life. He had the right to do that because He's the Creator. He's the one that breathes into us and we came a living soul! He can take our life at a heartbeat because he was the one that created us and he is the one that paid the price instead of us. So when you are reading and it says, everybody's saying it, and they don't even understand why they're saying it, that Jesus died for our sins. What does it mean? It means that instead of us dying and going to hell, by the way, he says, man, I got to come up with a plan that they won't have to die and go to hell. I will give my life instead of them giving their life. That's what it is. That's where we are today. So when we say Jesus died for us, that's what we're saying. So all of us that was living in sin, dead in our sin, or is living in sin, dead in our sin, you don't have to stay there. You don't have to keep living in sin. You don't have to let sin control your life. You don't have to give sin the authority in your life. The Lord spoke to me this morning. I had to write it down. This is what he spoke to me. Our biggest struggle is the doorway to our demise. I watch it. Whatever you continue to let be a bother in your life is going to destroy your relationship and could destroy your life entirely with God. Right? I'm still reading what he told me, Put in my heart. It will, meaning your greatest struggle, it will take you, it, it will take over, what do I write here? It will, okay, it will overtake you that all you think of is that struggle. So if you've got a struggle in your life, that struggle can become your demise because what happens is that struggle continue to stay on your mind and you continue to think about it and you continue to try to figure it out. Sometimes it makes you so upset. It makes you so angry. It gets you all distorted. And so it will cause us to do something that will destroy our relationship with God. Anytime we have a struggle, the devil is at work is how he works. He, he allowed you, as we said in our Sunday school class, give me some time here, as we said in our Sunday school class, if you don't have on the breastplate of righteousness, righteousness is what protects your heart. And so if you don't have on that breastplate of righteousness, what the devil do is plant an evil seed in your heart. And when that evil seed get into your heart, then he set up the situation For that evil seed in your heart to encounter. And so that evil seed in your heart will begin to reach after that situation. And that situation will reach after you. And before you know it, you're doing wrong. That evil in your heart is is now, it, it generated some fruit. Because that that evil seed that was planted, it just stayed there and start to germinate and start to grow. And before you know it, there's a whole lot of evil in your heart and ungodliness. And you're wondering, where does that come from? The Bible says, in our heart flows the issues of life. So your heart is where all your emotion is. And so if you don't guard your heart, all the evil that will go in will be how you behave we're wondering why we can't get the victory and what it was we didn't have on the breastplate of righteousness. And so when the stuff came our way, we were not able to defend against it. We were not able to stop it because we did not have on the breastplate of righteousness. And so that evil seed get into our heart and started working. And so when we encounter sin and we encounter evil and ungodliness, that seed that was already planted, recognize that that's what I want to do. And Now we find ourselves being drawn into it and we're wondering, how can I be a Christian? And I'm getting drawn into that because you didn't have on a breastplate. And when you didn't have on a breastplate, the devil was able to penetrate your heart. And so now you're a Christian and wondering, how am I living like this? Because the evil seed got into you. It's it's, it's the breastplate of righteousness that we need to put on. Because when we put it on, when that evil seed come from Satan, we will be able to block it. And so here it goes. When you have on the breastplate of righteousness and that sin, that Satan is trying to entice you with, you look at it and says, not today, devil. You know why you were able to say that? Because the seed never got in. Here's what the Bible says. That all of us... When we sin, we're drawn away by our lust. You know what that lust is? That seed. That evil seed that was planted, it became a part of us. And when it became a part of us, as we live our life, the devil is looking for an opportunity to set us up so that seed that's there will begin to pull on whatever it needs. And so your desires now, you're wondering, why do I desire this? Why do I want this? This is ungodly. I'm a Christian. Why is this happening? Because when the evil seed was being planted, your heart wasn't covered. Righteousness is the shield. So what that righteousness means is, I gotta do everything God says, because God is the only righteous one. So when I obey God, all of God's word, I'm now in righteousness. And that's the only way we're able to say, you can't get me, devil. It's the only way to stop. Because the bottom line is, we had our heart covered when the enemy shot that seed of evilness into our heart. The breastplate was on. Righteousness was on. I was obeying God. I was living for God. Listen, I got to tell you this. We got to give God everything, people. Right? Oh, man. Our world... And I'm not even I, don't even, I don't want you to take it to think that I'm coming against the things of the world. we, There's things in our world that we, we need to apply to our life that's good. Everything in our world is not bad. Here's what I'm saying, though. Our world is setting the stage and has set the stage for us to be selfish people. Everything is my, my, my. You probably didn't, you probably wasn't born, some of us wasn't born in the era of selfishness, but we find ourselves being selfish now. It's because of where the world is. And the world is in such a place that, guess what? It's harder to live for God now than it was back then. Why? Because we're being trained and taught to be selfish, and selfishness is anti-God. And so, when... I say or any preacher say or anybody say that that's that, that's living for God say you need to give more. It's like somebody just stuck you Ah, more. Why do you think that is? If the one that can raise you from the dead. If the one that will give you eternal life is asking you to give you everything, what is the problem? Why is it so hard to figure out I need to do that? What's causing you to worry about giving more to the one that can raise you from the physical death of grave or from Living eternally with him. What's so hard about giving him everything? What is the challenge of giving him everything? You've got to get people out of your mind. You've got to get man and people and society out of your mind. You've got to get church out of your mind. I know that sounds contradictory, but church is almost religious and not godly the way how we handle it. God set the church up to do his work in the earth. But we come to church to satisfy our religious curiosity. Our religious anger desires what we come to church to satisfy. And God is not happy about that because we're religious. He wants godly people. He wants people that will live in his resurrection. He wants people that will give him all of them. All of you is what he wants. He don't want just some of you. Everything that we're struggling with, we're struggling to come to church. We're struggling to read our Bibles. We're struggling to pray. We're struggling to be committed to the house of God. We're struggling. And God is saying, are you doing it for yourself, for somebody else, or for me? Who are you doing it for? Who are you doing it for? Who are you here for this morning? To let somebody in your life know, oh, I go to church. Or to satisfy how you feel. To let God know, oh, I'm doing my religious duty. Who are you doing it for? I can say it this morning because we're talking about the resurrection and what he has done. Why are we doing it? Oh, help me, Jesus. I'm 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 concerned. I'm concerned that we're we're living for God on our terms, like we can raise anybody from the dead, like we can promise eternity to anybody. We can't give nobody eternal life. We can't raise nobody from the dead. So we better live for the one who can. I don't want to wait till these eyes close to come to the knowledge of God. That's going to be too late. If I got to come to the realization of who God is uh, when I die, uh, then I will not be spending eternity with him uh, because the life that he gave me to prove who he is and to live right, uh, I wasted it and I can't wait till I die to say I want Jesus. Laying on the deathbed and confessing will not get me to heaven if I didn't live Right? I want to live in the resurrection. I want to live in the resurrection. He did too much. He went through everything. Every time I think about what he has done for me, it just, just, just messed me up. I can't become so selfish that all I want to do is please me. Not to mention, can I tell you? You think God is going to make you live for him all your life and not give you some of your desires? Come on folks. Why, are we, why why are we treating God like he's some kind of, you know, slave master? Why are we treating God like, you know, he 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 just want to give us a hard time? Why are we doing that? God loves us. What I said, we are his weakness. He don't have no weakness, but us So when it comes down to us, the apple of his eye, when it comes down to us, the people he loves so dearly, when it comes down to us, he will give us the desires of our heart. That's what the word says. Psalm 37 verse 4 says, oh, God, he says that if we delight ourselves in him, he will give us the desires of our heart. He is not a slave driver. He's not trying to give you a hard time. He loves you. But but, but, but you got to give him more. I'm worried. I'm concerned that we think we can show up Sunday mornings and we say, I'm here. We might even come to the altar and raise our hands. We might even feel the power of the Holy Ghost. We might talk in tongues, but it stops there. hour and a half on Sunday morning is what you gave him. And when you walk out the door, now it becomes all about you. It's back to you. It's back to what you want. It's back to how you live. And you'll catch him again Thursday night, if that. And then every morning, you don't catch him because every morning what we do is we tell him what we have on our list that we want to do. We just say, God, I'm going out. I want you to protect me. God, I want you to protect my family. God, I want you to bless me today. God, I want you to provide. We just give him our list and then we walk out. Where did we, where's the relationship? Where's the total surrenderance to God? Where, what happened to the cross? Are we only going to remember the cross on Easter? Are we only going to remember the resurrection on Easter? Or are we just going to live our life totally surrendered to God? Nobody knows when we're going to die so many of us have people we are connected to one minute everything was good and next minute we turn around. Did you hear so-and-so had a stroke? Did you hear so-and-so died? Did you hear so-and-so is sick real bad? And we're saying, how? I just talked to them. Well, nobody knows when they're going to die. But the one that had the power over death loves you. And he says, if you will obey me and live according to my word, what do you got to worry about? Oh we got to live in the resurrection. We we can't we can't just let today be the day and after this day we just back to normal just getting all that we want. The Bible says that we all of us were once dead in our sins. This is what he means when he says we were once dead in our sins. As for you, you were dead in your transgression and sins. Anyone who has never been born again after Having an experience with Christ is dead in their sins. So if, if you had an encounter with God, if you had an encounter with the Holy Ghost and, and you just kept living the way you want to and you never repent of your sins and you never got baptized in Jesus name and you're not seeking to receive the, the, the infilling of the Holy Ghost, then you're dead in your sins. It means you are spiritually dead. When the Bible says you're dead in your sins, it means you are spiritually dead. It means people who are spiritually dead and have no communication with God. When you're dead in your sin, you have no communication with God. Can I tell you this? When you're not living for God, when you are disconnected from God, the only communication you will ever have with God that God will respond to is repentance. So many of us, oh, we do the religious thing by going to church and we pray and we think, God, we're in communication. No, you said some words. You weren't in communication with God. And it's not until you pray the prayers of repentance and say, God, help me. Let me tell you, go back to what I'm talking about, about the heart. We have to go before God. Listen to me. I'm a human just like you. So I know what I'm saying. We have to go before God. And the things that has got into our heart, that, that evil thing that got inside of our heart, a lot of times, if we let it sit there, which normally is what we do, we let it sit there, and we become familiar with it. And we begin to just go with the flow with it, and, and, and we begin to enjoy it. And so when that sin comes, and that seed that's evil in our heart that's there and the sin that's coming up against us, we We, we communicate. And so now we're in sin and we're enjoying it. Say amen, somebody. And so we're enjoying it. Here is the challenge. The challenge is we need for God to take it out of our heart. And we know that. But the struggle becomes when you pray, are you asking God to take it out or you're just saying words because you still enjoy it? That's the challenge. I'm coming at you real because I know what I've struggled with. I know what I've had in my life. So if you want to play like you've never had none, that's on you. But I know I had some and I'm still going to have some. So what happens is when you go before the Lord and you pray, you know that this thing that's in you is wrong. And a lot of times we only go and confess it to God because we know it's wrong. But our desire is saying, but I still want to do it, which means it still stays there it never go anywhere. So we really think we repented when when we really didn't. Because God knows your heart. And so when you go for God and you say, oh, Lord, forgive me for that. God is saying, okay, when you're ready to ask for forgiveness, I'll forgive you. Because you're not asking for forgiveness. You're feeling bad that you're doing something wrong. But your flesh is enjoying that thing that you're doing wrong. It's not until you go to God. And you become, mm, I'm all over the place, but I just got to tell you what the Holy Ghost is leading me to. It's not until you get to the place where you detest that thing that's in you, where you hate that thing that's in you. That's why the Bible says we got to hate sin. You got to get to the place where you say, I hate this. I despise this. I detest this. But the problem is we never get to that place of detesting and despising and hating this thing that's in us that's ungodly. We never get to that place unless we really cry out to God. And so it remains for a long time. And this is what God does. He is so smooth. He lets you stay there. That's why he never removes sin until you're ready for it. Because he lets it stay there. Because you know why? Why even deal with you when really and truly you're only saying what's right, but it's not in your heart. So I'm leaving you alone. is how God deal with us. And it's not until we go cry out before him that he really then forgives us. And then that thing really do leave you. All of the struggles in your life will not leave you until you hate it. All of the evil that's in your life will not leave you until you hate it. If you're just casual with it, it will stay with you. It will not leave you. It won't. And so we we live our life casually with that evil that's inside of us. It is not until we deal with it. So what God does is if we don't deal with it, he deals with it. I harden, I harden Pharaoh's heart. I'm I'm, I'm giving you a Bible. I'm running it down for you. God don't harden nobody's heart. That's not already hardened. We read that scripture all the time that he hardened Pharaoh's heart. You know what it means? He's saying Pharaoh is stubborn and he won't do what I tell him. So I'm going to let him be all consumed by his own stuff. That's hard in the heart. That's what God means. He says, what you like, I'm going to make you be consumed with it. I'm going to let it take over your life and you're going to get so much of it that at some point in time, you're going to have to cry to me and say, forgive me. That's God working instead of you doing the work you should do. Oh Jesus, I feel the Holy Ghost. That's God wants to rip some stuff out of us, but if we don't want it, He gonna consume us with it, and we gonna stay in it, and we gonna live the way we don't want to live, and we gonna die in it, and we gonna, we just gonna denigrate in it, and we're wondering, what's happening? We show up to church, and we're doing the right thing, but deep down we know we're a mess. And we, 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 we're we not crying out to God because we kind of like it still. And God is how he deals. Are you going to continue to like it or are you going to hate it? And he stands there. Are you going to continue to like it or are you going to hate it? And if you like it, he says, I'm not messing with you. You can cry all you want. You know how we like tears? Uh, a lot of times tears come. It's not because we don't, it's not because we repent it, it's because we feel bad. And so God says, you like it? Or you hate it. And as long as you like it, no matter what you say with your mouth, he knows your heart. As long as you like it, he leaves you in it. And let you wallow in it. And let it consume you. And that's when you see your life spinning out of control. And you're losing it. And you're going to lose your soul somehow. That's when you find that little bit of God that you have and cry out to him. And that's when he stretches his hand as your savior. But if you let it consume you and you never find that little bit of God you have in you to cry out, you're finished. That's the scary part. That if you didn't have enough God that when you're spiraling out of control and it consumes you, you don't have enough of God to cry. I say, God, I can't take it no more. Get me out of it. It's not until you get to that place will you ever get out. Other than that, he's going to leave you in it. So you can either take matters in your hand and say, God, this thing that's in me, I hate it. I'm supposed to be a child of God. I'm supposed to live righteous. And this thing that's in me, I hate it. I detest it. This thing that's making me behave like this and, you know, you know, acting like I'm this way and the next thing, I hate that. I hate being phony, God. I'm not talking about people. Forget about people. You're talking to God, I hate being phony because today I'm worshiping and praising you. And tomorrow I got this thing in me that's driving me and moving me to do something wrong. I hate it. Get it out, Lord. You can take it into your own hands and do that. Or you can pretend and come to church and say, oh, Father, forgive me for I have sinned. And it will just keep on riding you. And it's going to get more consuming every day, every day, every day. And some, it's going to get so consuming that at some point in time, you won't show up at church. At some point in time, you just won't even pray no more. At some point in time, you're just back to just living how you want because you played games with you and God. And God is not about playing any games. Today is Resurrection Sunday. When Jesus rose from the grave. He rose on the Sabbath. As the Sabbath was ending, he rose. And so, he rose that we can rise. He rose that we can rise. These people that are consumed. By their sin. These people are physically alive. But their sins have rendered them spiritually unresponsive. Alienated from God. Thus incapable of experiencing the full life that God can give us. So if if, if we stay in our sins, we are dead. And we are incapable of responding to God. We are incapable of getting anywhere with God, which makes us get very frustrated in God. So, Jesus came so that we may have life. I tell you all that. I will never preach to you and leave you right there on what I just preached about. I'm going to bring you past that and preach hope to you now. All of what I just said, yes, it's true. Don't you belittle any of it. But there's hope. Tell your neighbor, but there's hope. Jesus came so that we might have life And have it more abundantly. But what most we did not understand was that the life he was offering was not only eternal life in heaven, but also abundant life here on earth. So God didn't just come for you to get to heaven. So remember I told you, don't live for God with by do's and don'ts, by rules, so you can get to heaven. Because God wants you to experience abundant life here in the earth. Somehow we think as Christians, if we live for God, we're going to live miserable. I don't know who told you that. We don't want to live for God because I'm just going to be miserable. I can't do this. I can't do that. Why I can't do this? And somebody lied to you. When God told Adam and Eve, you can eat of every tree in the garden except one. The devil came to them and says, you can't eat of all the tree in the garden. Did you catch that? You caught it, Stanley the devil will always make you think about what you can't have as opposed to all that you have. He will always make you think about the thing you can't have or the couple of things you can't have when all of the other stuff you can have. And so we chase the thing that we can't have. We run behind the thing we can't have and forgot that God has given us a whole bunch of stuff that we can't have. Why are we chasing the things that we can't have? Oh, why are we chasing the things that God don't want you to have? We're chasing the things that God is saying, don't have that. But all of that other stuff, you can have it. Your adversary will tell you about the stuff, the one thing you can't have. And Jesus tells you about everything you can't have. So God didn't die just so we can go to heaven. He died so we can have abundant life here in this world that we don't have to be miserable in this life. Though the last day resurrection may have been what was in Martha's mind, when Jesus told her Lazarus would raise again, Jesus was talking about a present resurrection, one in this natural life. So Martha was thinking, yeah, we'll see Lazarus when we get to heaven when the resurrection takes place. And Jesus was trying to tell her, no, 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 no. You're going to see Lazarus right now because I'm going to raise him up right now. Jesus came that we may experience the joy, peace, and fulfillment only he can give us. You can search all over. Couldn't find Nobody. Nobody greater than Jesus Christ. You you cannot experience joy and fulfillment and peace. You cannot experience that no place but in Jesus. If you're looking to experience all of that stuff without him, go ahead, try it. Come back and let me know how you did Paul also highlighted another aspect of the abundant life in the fourth chapter of Philippians. We can know real contentment and fulfillment in this life. While others seek temporary pleasures to cure the greed of their carnal appetites, we can know a sense of fulfillment no matter the situation, Paul says. He says temporary desires and greed. Everything that we seek after, this flesh let us seek after, is all temporary. Paul said, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation whether well fed or hungry whether living in plenty or in want I can do this through Him who gives me strength that's Philippians 4 and 12 this strength is something we can only receive from God when we give into our ungodly desires we are abiding in our own strength which is actually weakness when God said we can do all things through Him if we continue to try to do what we are Doing uh, in our own strength, uh, we will never achieve I can do all things through Christ. I can we like to quote that I can do all things through Christ with strength in me. And we never do anything and we get all walking away with our tail between our legs. Because we try to accomplish it in our own strength and lie to ourselves and said, Oh, I was trying to do it in Christ. I want to challenge you again. Try to fast three days no food, then you will see something different in your life. I told him this morning in Sunday school, your flesh is in control of you at every time until you decide to fast for three days or more. The only time you will be in control of your flesh is when you fast for three days or more, three days or more, because it takes three days for the flesh to die. And while it's dying, when when the first day come around, it's battling you. And everything looks good. Man, I should just eat something. And I start my, I can, I can break my fast and start back up again. And those are the things that goes on in your mind. It's going back and forth. Then you get to the second day and your flesh is crying out. Just give me a little bit of tea. Just give me something. Just give me some juice. Fle- that's what the flesh is saying. Just give me something. And then the third day, the flesh gets quiet and just like, I give up. That's the only time you take charge of your flesh. Other than that, you walk around and your flesh say, ooh, that looked good. Let me taste that. You walk around, ooh, I can have me some of that. Mm, and your flesh, and you're just going and you just getting what you want. And if it's an outfit, ooh, I need to get that outfit. And it just, just hey, you put that text out the other day, right, about going to supermarket hungry. Wasn't you? Yeah. Not text, but, you know, Facebook, whatever you do. Tweet. And, and so you put it out talking about never go to the supermarket while you're hungry. That's true. I'm the same way. Why? Because your flesh say, you hungry, get everything your flesh control. You we don't even realize it. We think we're in control and we think that we're doing it. We're not doing it. The flesh is doing it. And until you realize that, you will keep on doing what you've always done. When Jesus spoke of the resurrection, he was talking about in this life. We know that there's a resurrection that's coming for us to inherit eternity. But when he, spoke of Lazarus, when he spoke of Lazarus' resurrection, he was talking about right now. He was referring to a resurrection of body, of both body and spirit. The world he came into was filled with people who were dead in their trespasses. That's what Philippians Ephesians 2 and 1 said. And so our spirit were without life and we were without hope. But when Jesus came, he brought the power of resurrection with him. Can you imagine if we didn't have the power of resurrection to live in the power of resurrection? When you died, that was it. And depending on how you die, that's it. Still is that. But now we know that when we die, we can live our life with joy and peace. That when I die, that's not it. Eternity is coming and I'm going to be just fine. And so resurrection refers. Listen to this, and I'm, I'm almost done. Resurrection refers to a quickening. Merriam-Webster's dictionary says, "Quicken is to make alive or revive." So before Jesus came into your life, and if you want Him to come into your life, because you're not, you don't have Him in your life, you are dead. But when the Spirit of God come into your life, or your life, you are made alive and you are revived. Even when we are dead in our sins, had He quickened us together with Him. By grace you are saved. It is through the power of His grace and Spirit that we are quickened in our lives. The quickening, producing, the quickenness produces new life. Not only can our spirit experience resurrection or our quickening, but our bodies have also promised this quickening. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you. Thank you for singing that song this morning. That's my song. They knew it was my song. I got to grab the mic and sung that song. For the very same power that right. All right. Listen. I, I was watching. I said, I don't know if y'all understand this song. It said the very same power that raised Christ from the dead is living in you. The very same power that overcame the grave is alive. Oh, God. Love that song. And so if we have the Holy Ghost in us, we have the resurrection power in us. So so, so, listen to this. Oh, I'm scaring you. How you think It's possible for us. The Bible talks about the rapture. It don't say the word rapture. It talks about the catching away. The Bible talks about it, and I'm almost done, and I'm going to end with that. The Bible says we will be raised one day to meet Christ in the air. How is that possible? Anybody want to tell me? How how could, because you can't do it right now. Try just jumping up and see if you get to heaven. Can't. So how is that possible when he comes? It's magnet, man what happens is the spirit that's in us, his spirit and him he draws us to him but he only can draw us because of what's in us this is why it's important to have the spirit of God living in you because that's what draw you to him that's what's going to raise you up out of the ground from him to you from you to him and he is the magnet in the sky and the big magnet will draw all the little magnets together and so we all just click, 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 er, we out of here. We need the Holy Ghost. We need to live right. We need to talk right. We need to do the things that's going to get us out of here and not have to worry about this stuff anymore. Romans 8 and 11. We also see a, an illusion to the last day resurrection we have been promised as well. Paul tells the church at Thessalonica, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Why are we afraid of death? The Bible says the dead in Christ shall rise first. That means if I die before the rapture take place, it means I'm going to raise up before you that are living, that's in Christ. We have nothing to fear in death. And so if we have nothing to fear in death, it's only because we are in Christ. And so if we are in Christ, why not just do everything to show Christ that we are in him? To show yourself you are in him. We just need to give it all to him. Anybody going to give Christ their all? Oh God, I want to give you my all. Not just when I come to this building. Not just when I get up in the morning and I tell you my list of what I want. The dead in Christ shall rise first and we which are alive. You know what's going to be the most miraculous thing? Y'all going to have to tell me to stop. I'm going to stop. You know what's going to be the most miraculous thing? When you die physically in this earth, what happens? Your physical body deteriorates and goes back to the dirt. But your soul still lives on in some place else, either in hell or in the presence of the Lord, your soul, your soul. We can't see. So when he says the dead in Christ shall raise first, what it means is all souls that's in his presence will now take on a body like his. And now will all be raised from the grave and we which are alive our bodies shall be changed, and we will get a body like his. So the the, the, the the great miracle from that is, how in the world will every one of us get a, 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 a body that's incorruptible, that will match our souls? Y'all don't know how deep God is. So we're all dead with no bodies. Our body's gone because your body's in the ground. He says that he's going to raise up a body that's going to be incorruptible. And your soul is going to join with that incorruptible body. Every one of us. That's how we're going to live in heaven for eternity. I know it's hard to imagine. And that's why probably we have a hard time living for God is because some of it just seems so but that's why you need the Holy Ghost to work in your life. Because if you allow the Holy Ghost to work in your life, then you'll realize the miraculous things that can be done, the miraculous things are, that are possible when you experience the Holy Ghost living in you. And so we're going to meet them in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Whether we are alive at his coming or asleep in the grave, our bodies will be resurrected. The resurrection we are looking forward to has been made available to us. Because of the victory won, death over the grave. And I'm going to finish up here and say, tell you this. Without the death of Jesus Christ, we would have no proof for why we're doing this. Without the death and the resurrection, there would be no proof. Every religion, here's where you differ from every religion. Every religion that's not. Believing this, they don't have any proof of what they're teaching and living for. Think about it. What's their proof of why they're doing what they're doing? You can ask everybody that, that's living a different kind of religion. Why are you doing what you're doing? What's the, what, what? And they go, they'll tell you whatever they tell you. And then you say, well, what's the proof of that? You know, some religions say when you die, you come back as something else. Say, what's the proof of that? They can't give you the proof of that. So, understand the precious faith that we have. That we have proof. That when we die, we will be resurrected again. And if we die physically and he wants us to raise up again, he will raise us up again. We have proof because he rose Lazarus and he rose himself. He will raise us at the sound of the trumpet. Will you stand? Living in the resurrection. If we're going to live for God, we got to live in his resurrection. We got to live in the power of his might and in the spirit of his might. If we try to live for God in our own intellect, we'll never make it. We have to live for God in the resurrection. What is the resurrection? In total obedience to his word and his spirit. Righteousness. Is the breastplate that protects the evil. If you're going to live for God and make it, you're going to have to live in righteousness. The only way we can be righteous is by obeying the word of God. The only way to live in resurrection is to obey the word of the Lord. The grave is empty. The cross has nobody on it. And so that's why when people wear wear a cross with with, with a symbol on it, you say, dude or sister, why even do that? That has no significance. He's not on that cross anymore. He's not in the grave anymore. He's not on the cross anymore. And so we thank God for all that he has done. We got to make sure we live in his resurrection. You don't have to live half-heartedly. You don't have to live in sin, or live trapped in bondage, or live in a life that's just no freedom, no liberty. You don't have to live like that. God wants you to live in abundance of life. God wants you to live in His resurrected power. I pray that I help somebody today. I pray that somebody heard what I said. A voice my prayer to the Lord this morning. And he voiced his response back to me very gently. I thank God for that. Because here is my challenge as the pastor of this church. I desire for all of you to grow, to be mature in God, to just do great things. All that God has in store for you, I want to see it so bad. And I'm your greatest cheerleader. And I'm standing on the side cheering you on. And if you ever watch a cheerleader, when things are not going good, they're trying to force it to go good. That's me. Forgive me for doing that sometimes. That's me. I'm trying to force it to get good. Come on now. Come on now. And God whispered back to me and says, it takes time, son. <laughs> oh, he told me this morning it takes time, son. And I said, I understand that. And so I'm telling you, forgive me for trying to force the cheer on, thinking it's going to make you do better. It will encourage you, but it's just going to be what it is. And it's in due season that you will reap. It's in due season that it will get done. And so I'm learning as I go as a new pastor that as much as I want to see, boom, it just happened just like that. I got to tell myself, have patience. God is working with them. God is doing what he has to do. Why don't you, if you can, just come to the altar and talk to the Lord today? Anybody, everybody, just come to the altar. I told you we got to have an altar call. Respond to the word of God. What the altar does is give you a chance to respond to the word of God. Just respond to the word of God. Of all that I just preached, all that I just preached. Take a step. Make a commitment. Hear what I said today about the resurrection. Hear what I said today about all that God has done for you and what He wants. He just wants you to get there. I just want you to get there. I want to see God's will done in your life. I want you to just seek the Lord. I'm not here. For it. I'm here to cheer you on. I'm your cheerleader. Just, just reach up to the Lord today reach out to Him and just talk to Him and just adore Him and, and thank Him for what He has done today the Word of God has gone in, into your heart and it's going to take root and it's going to grow and it's going to produce much fruit. just surrender it all to Him understand you got to give Him everything you can't be a part time Christian you got to be all together just here I am Lord Come on, let's worship the Lord today. Father, in the name of Jesus, you are the resurrection and the life. We want to live in resurrection, Lord Jesus, and we don't want to live in our own strength. We can do nothing without you, Lord God, and so without you we are nothing. But if we abide in you and your word abide in us, your spirit abide in us, then God, you will do. In the name of Jesus. I pray today that your soul will be revived. Your soul will be resurrected. The power of God. Will reign in your life. Let God reign in your soul. Let God reign in your soul. Let God reign. Father, rain, rain, rain. Let the rain, 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 rain in her spirit, rain in her soul. For God, I pray that your will be done. I pray that your will be done. Oh, God wants you to experience the joy of the Lord. God wants you to experience life and more abundantly. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Oh, God. Have your way, have your way, have your way. God, 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 God is showing me something here. Oh, you, 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 you haven't understood the power of God. God, God wants to transform and renew your mind, system. God wants you to understand His power. God wants you to understand your position in Him. Hear the word of the Lord. Obey Him trust Him and He will show you the greatness. He will show you abundant life. Abundant life. Abundant life. Abundant life. Oh, hallelujah. 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 In the name of Jesus. Oh, yes. Oh, yes.